Father, we thank you for your presence here tonight. Lord, we thank you that the anointing that you have placed within us teaches us all things. You are the teacher here tonight, God. And Lord, as we just look at your word together, as we consider your word together, Lord, everybody here brings some type of opinion about this subject to the table. And God, we're just uh, together looking at your word, considering the scripture, and asking you to speak. And God, if you want to change our minds about things, change our minds about things. Help us to understand your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We are, we're actually having several of these Let's Talk About. We did in July, we did one called Let's Talk About Hell. Um, we're going to do one in uh, December called Let's Talk About the End Times. And tonight we're doing Let's Talk About Women in Leadership. And the reason why it's kind of in the Let's Talk About is because there are different opinions Sometimes very strong opinions as to what scripture says about these topics. And if we can't agree tonight on on exactly what the scripture is saying and what, what the scripture means on this, what I'm hoping that we can at least have a dialogue so that at least you understand why there are disagreements. Why people that love the Bible and love the word of God and count it as absolutely authoritative Look at it maybe differently than you do. And it doesn't mean they're bad people. It doesn't mean they're compromising. It's there are legitimate different ways to look at this issue. Um, I'm really excited about tonight because uh, I, I just have a heart for women to be released in their giftings and in how God has made them and to have them functioning in the church. And I could see why it would be very hard with some of, I mean, we want to honor this word. We want to hold this word very high. We, want to, we, we don't want to pick and choose. We don't want to say we, we believe this part, but this part we don't really like. And, and no, you know, you, you have to take the whole thing. You, gotta, you can't pick and choose. If our lives are submitted to the word of God, then the whole word of God has to be considered. And, and I could see if, if I was a woman with some of the new passages in the New Testament, it would be hard to know, is this really okay? Is, is it really okay, me stepping out and walking in, in my gift, in my teaching or prophesying or, or praying? Is it, is, it, is it really okay with God? Or... What, what, is, what does this mean? So I have got five points that I'm going to make. And then we're going to open it up. And you can ask any question or make any comment you want to. If you want to contradict me after I'm done talking, that, this is the atmosphere for that to happen. I, I, I will respect your opinion. I hope you can respect mine. But we, we'll, we'll talk about it. Okay. All right, so here's point one. And I think we might have, oh, we do, good. And if you're worried that you're going to miss something, these notes 
we can make these available, can't we, Sarah? Like on the internet or something, on the website? Great. Point one, the New Testament liberates women. Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. The new covenant, in the new covenant, everybody's equal as sinners. Everybody is just as bad as everybody else. Everybody has to get saved. Everybody is saved the same way through Christ. And everybody is equally children of God. Acts 2, 17 and 18. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, now listen, God says it, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit and they shall prophesy. God's saying, it's going to be both. I'm pouring my spirit out on everybody. And I know what you men are thinking. You're thinking all men. And I'm telling you right now, it's both men and women. It is not just your sons. It's going to be your daughters. And guess what? They're going to speak. They're going to prophesy. They're going to experience me and they're going to tell about it. This was God's plan. This is, this is what the new covenant does for women. In Romans chapter 16, Paul is giving greetings and he names a number of women. One of them is Phoebe, who he uses the word deaconess. This is not a church Paul's planted. Paul at this point had never visited the Roman church, but there is a deaconess there named Phoebe. He also has them greet Priscilla and Aquila. And uh, Priscilla and Aquila, we first meet them in Acts, I think it's chapter 18, when they, they meet Apollos, and it says, Apollos was preaching, but he, had, he didn't know the, the big picture. He was preaching about John the Baptist, and, and as much as he knew, Apollos was a great preacher, had a great heart for God. It says, when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now, the reason why Priscilla is listed before Aquila, this is just from the commentaries, they believe she was the primary speaker. She was the primary teacher and that she had a a teaching gift and that's why Paul uh, puts her first. That's why Acts 18, Luke puts her first. On top of this, we have Philip Philip the evangelist, who we, we see, and he, he was first a deacon, and then in chapter 8, we see him uh, in Samaria with signs and wonders following. Well, it says that he had four daughters that were all prophetesses. So we see the deaconess, we see the teacher, we see the prophetess, uh, and then we also have, in Romans chapter 16, a woman named Junius, and Paul references her as 
uh, Adronicus and Junius, most people think they were married. It's very hard to make Junius a male because of the ending, because of the Greek ending. And he says, they are not the least among the apostles. So you, you actually have an argument that Paul's calling a female an apostle. Now there's a lot of debate over that, but whatever. The New Testament liberates women. It brings women to a place of anointing, of equality, of uh, being liberated to, to do whatever God tells them to do. Point two, the consideration of culture. Understanding culture and how God feels about culture and especially Paul, how Paul is motivated by culture is so crucial to understanding some of the difficult texts in the New Testament. So I want you to listen to 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. Paul is going to give his motivation and the way he approaches groups of people. This is what he says. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. To the Jews, I became as a Jew so that I might win Jews. To those under the law, this is very important. To those under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, for this purpose, so that I might win those who are under the law. This is very, very important to understand Paul's mindset. When I am with people that are under the law, when I'm with unbelieving people that are under the law, I put myself under the law. I respect, I honor the law in front of those people because I want to win them to Christ. Now, equally important, to those who are without law, I become as one without law so that I might win those. Where am I? (laughs) All right, though not being under the law, okay. As without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. A few years ago, my daughter, Anne, went with a group to Oman in the Middle East. And in Oman, it is, uh, it is legal. You could wear whatever you wanted to. The women could, and oftentimes American women, Everybody knows who they are because they've got jeans and a t-shirt on and no head covering and they are Americans and everybody knows exactly who the Americans are. You can, you can do that in Oman. But she was with a team that was preaching the gospel and trying to win people to Christ. And so they, uh, she wore a dress the whole time she was there. She had a head covering on when she was in public. Why? Because they, want, they didn't want to offend them. They didn't want to offend that culture. Because they wanted to have a chance for them to respond to Christ. 
If they offended them right up front, if they didn't take into consideration, there would be no, because of that offense, they wouldn't even be able to, to present Christ. But because they were respectful of culture, it made it easier to he, for them to hear. Now listen to 1 Corinthians 14, verses 34 and 35. The women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves, listen, just as the law also says. If they learn, desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Okay, let me, let me just say a few things here. First, this, it can't, he can't be meaning all meetings because two chapters earlier, three chapters earlier in chapter 11, he says when women pray and prophesy, they need to have their head covered. Huh? And now three chapters later, you're saying when they speak, they never speak? And you gave rules on when they do speak. So, so there's, these are different types of meetings. The 1 Corinthians 11 is clearly a Christian meeting. 1 Corinthians 14 is unbelievers are present. We know that because he says, let two at the most three speak. And when the prophetic comes forth, the unbelieving in your presence will have their hearts um, laid bare and they will say, surely God is in this place. And we didn't know it. So this is, this is a meeting with unbelievers. And I will make the, a strong case unbelieving Jews. In fact, all of the churches Paul planted, if you, if you follow his ministry in Acts, he started in the synagogues. And this was what followed Paul around as Judaizers. Everywhere he went, the Jews would follow him and he was having trouble with them. But Paul always started with the Jews. He said the gospel goes to the Jew first, then to the Gentile. So when Paul was reaching, he was reaching Jewish unbelievers everywhere he went. Now, I want to pretend, I want you to pretend that you are a Jewish unbeliever in that culture, okay? In the synagogue, the women do not even sit in the main room. The women are in a chamber separate from them. They get to overhear what the men are doing. Okay? This is, this is Old Testament law. Okay? They are, or, or practice or tradition or however it happened, that's how it was in the synagogues. Men are in the main room. This is about men. Only the men are taught. Only, you, couldn't even, you couldn't even speak to a male rabbi. A woman could not speak to a male rabbi in public. What happened at the woman at the well broke so many of their traditions. That's just how it was. Okay, so you're a Jewish unbeliever and you're coming into this meeting and women are sitting next to you. There are women in the main meeting. This is stretching you. <laughs> what is going on with the women? To have them speaking in church you would not have a chance of winning a Jewish unbeliever. It would be too much. It would just be over the top. 
And, and Paul, he says it to the Jews, to those under the law. I become like those under the law. Look, at, look what he says here. He says, as the law says. What? Mister, we're free from the law? Mister, Jesus came to fulfill the law, to remove us from the law, that we are no other under law. We have no law anymore except a new creation. Circumcision means nothing. The, the new covenant, it, it, it did away with the old covenant. Mr. We're free from the law is saying, here's why women need to be silent in the church. Because it's what the law says. As the law says. Guys, this isn't a scripture about women. This is a scripture about evangelism. He wants to reach Jewish people. This is his heartbeat. He will become all things to all people that he might win some. There, there are souls at stake in Paul's mind. And we are going to adapt. The, all, of first, all of First Corinthians is about freedom. It's about all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. He, he goes over things in, in chapter 8 that, you, yeah, you could eat the meat sacrificed to the idol and you could, you could drink that thing or, or uh, keep that day. But isn't there a higher law, the law of love, that you actually limit your freedom because of your brother? That you don't make full use of your freedom because of your brother? And he is all about, he's, he's the one that brought the message to just set the women free. And he's saying, now I need you to limit your freedom. This is our rule in all of the churches for the sake of the unbeliever. I want you to be, I want you to be silent in the churches because we're already pushing. <laughs> and if we're going to have a chance to win them, we can't offend them to that level or they won't even be able to hear what we're saying about Jesus because they'll be too offended. All right, now we've got an even more difficult passage in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Once more, if you read the whole context of 1 Timothy 2, I believe this is another evangelism passage. He starts off talking about prayer. Pray for all men because, verse 4, it is God's desire for everybody to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So this is Paul's heartbeat. I want people saved. Okay, now we get to the difficult passage. 2.22. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve, and it was not Adam who was deceived but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. <laughs> it would be very hard for you to find a more difficult passage in the New Testament than this passage. And commentators are all over the board as to what this exactly means. I will just give you my opinion. I'm always more than willing to tell you my opinion. Okay, once again, Mr. We are free from sin. Mr. 
Um, God is no longer holding the sins even of the world against them. The second Corinthians five is once again, he's quoting the deception of Eve, the sin of Eve, all that has been washed away, cleansed, redeemed in the new covenant. He's bringing it all back into play. He's, it's, it's about the law again. And then he says, this is my practice. Women are not leading. They're not teaching because Eve was deceived. That's what the law says. That's what those under the law believe. And he says this, but women will be saved through childbearing. Some of the translations have it capital C, childbearing. When it's capital C, childbearing, what they're, what they're saying, what they're, what they're referencing is that Eve, Eve was the one deceived, but Eve was also the one given the promise. The promise was this, that, that the woman's seed would crush the serpent's head. And in the process, the serpent would hurt um, his heel. And he's very possibly referencing the woman's role in salvation. Because here it is. <laughs> Men didn't have a role. Men and man's seed passed on the sin nature. Sin and death were passed through Adam and man's seed passed it on. So God brought the Savior completely apart from man's seed. Mary, it was the woman's seed. Genesis 3.15 is the first prophecy about the virgin birth. It was a woman's egg that did not contain the passing on of the sin nature. And the, the Holy Spirit put the Son of God into Mary's womb. We are all saved because a woman bore the child. We are, we are all, the whole plan of salvation didn't include a man. It did include a woman. So there's two principles in the word of God. One are uh, eternal principles that are going to be the same. They're going to be the same for every generation about salvation, about lying, about sexual immorality. doesn't matter how much culture changes. God's truth is the same. But there are other principles in Scripture that are about dealing with culture. All of the Bible happened within culture, and God to, is all about reaching culture. So they are eternal principles that you have to draw out we can draw out eternal principles from what Paul says about women, but then we need to apply them to our culture. Okay? It's, it's interesting. The second generation church that John is prophesying to in um, Revelation, this is, this is now a, a probably 95 AD, second generation church, and Jesus has got a word 
for seven churches. One of them is in Thyatira. It is a Greek church, not not a Jewish-based church. It's a Greek-based church. And here's the woman, here's the the word he gives to them. He has this against the, the leaders at Thyatira. You tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Very interesting to me what he doesn't say. Here's what he doesn't say to the leaders at Thyatira. Why are you letting a woman teach? Why is there a woman prophesying? There is not one word about that she is teaching and prophesying as to that being wrong. It's just about the message that she is teaching and prophesying that is wrong. If he was going to rebuke them about women in ministry or women being released, it would have been right here. And Jesus himself doesn't have one word to say against the fact that she's teaching and prophesying. It's only about what she is teaching and prophesying. Now, I have a question for you. So that's just even the second generation of churches. This is already, there's already been a change. Women are not silent. I I have a question for you. If the Apostle Paul was preaching the gospel in America and he was planting churches in America, what would he he do with women? He says, if I'm preaching to those under the law, I become like those under the law. I honor the law so that I might win those under the law. And then what does he say? But to those who are without the law, I become without law. So that I might win those that don't have law, even though I'm under the law of Christ. Do you think that Paul in the American church would have women not speaking? I absolutely do not think he would. You talk about something offensive to our culture. Our culture that believes in freedom, believes in equality, believes in many, many things that are very close to actually God's thoughts about things. To try to win people in America and have a restraint on women, you've already offended them. You've already, how are, you, how are they going to hear about Jesus? When your position about women has already offended them. So we need to be very, very careful. All right, so let's talk now. We're on to point three, the role of women in the home. This is uh, Ephesians 5, 22 through 25 and 31 and 32. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. <laughs> now, <laughs> the Amplified Bible helps us here. Wives, be subject to your husbands as your service to the Lord. As part of your worship to God, as part of how you honor God, respect and honor your husband's position in the home. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. For this reason, and now I'm down on verse 31 and 32. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Okay, so here it is. Jesus, who is the head of the church, both male and female, has assigned in the family a different role for husband and wife. That The husband and wife, the marriage thing, is going to play out the gospel in front of everybody. The husband's going to take the role of Christ and the wife is going to take the role of the church. And it doesn't say that men are better at being the head or, or, or that women are better at being the, the, the one that is subject or honoring or the secondary position. It doesn't say that. It just says you've been assigned roles and women, you've got the role of the church and in the home, wives honor your husband as the head of the home. And then he says to the husbands, guess what? You've got the role of Jesus. You need to lay your life down for your wives. You, you need to be the first to be willing to sacrifice. You need to speak over her, n- nurturing and cherishing words and wash her with the water of your words. You're, you're playing Christ. It says in 1 Peter 3, 7, that husbands... You better treat your wives in an understanding way or your prayers are going to be hindered. God says this is, this is now the most important relationship in your life other than your relationship directly with me. And if you don't love your wife well, I'm going to hinder your whole life. And when women don't honor their husbands... And once again, honor has nothing to do with whether you think they're being a good husband or not. It's about their position. It's about a position. Their lives become very hard. And it's very, it's very hard sometimes to help people understand that, that you can honor a position even if he's being a jerk. So here we go. Another really difficult passage in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 11, 3 through 5. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head, but every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head, For she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. All right, let's talk about this. First, let's talk about this. That God, speaking of God the Father, is the head of Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 28, The Father is greater than I. Hmm. 
I thought Jesus was God. Jesus is God. But there is an order in the Godhead. Greater is not greater in value or greater in deity. It is simply greater in authority. The Father is the authority of the Godhead. Everything starts with the Father. In creation, the Father planned it. The Son spoke it. The Holy Spirit was brooding over the waters to make it happen. In salvation, for God so loved the world, the Father, that he sent his only begotten Son. The Father planned it. The Son performed it. But the way we get saved is by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that makes salvation real to us. There is authority in the Godhead. Then it says this. So the Father is the head of the Son in, in authority. That's why there's unity in the Godhead. Because there's only one authority. But then he says this. As Christ... Dad, get him to the bathroom. That's great. I just heard a little guy say, I gotta go potty. (laughs) Anybody else that needs to follow, go right ahead. Um, So then he says this. The man is the, I want you to understand, Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of a woman and God is the head of Christ. Is that true? This would, this would be a contradiction. This would be, if, it, if this is just like this, it would be a contradiction to Ephesians 5. Because Ephesians 5 says that Christ is the head of the church. Church is neither male nor female. Christ is the head of everybody that's in the church, whether they're male or they're female. I believe the secret to this passage is that man and, and woman in this passage, it is the exact same words for husband and wife. I don't think this is about men and women. I think this is about husbands and wives in 1 Corinthians 11. When he's talking about as, as the, God is the head of Christ, so the husband is the head of the wife. This is about order again. And it's interesting culturally what went on with head coverings. When a woman in that culture had a head covering on, It said, I'm married. I I am married. I'm under the authority of my husband. To not wear a head covering would be the equivalent today of being married, but in public, uh, I'm not going to wear my wedding ring. Well, that would dishonor your husband. If you're not willing to be publicly identified with him and say that you're married That would be dishonoring, wouldn't it? In that day, um, you honored. And Paul said, whenever a a wife is praying or prophesying, it needs to be honoring the order in the home. Once again, First Corinthians is all about freedom. And it's about limiting freedom for love. And then he says this. 
in verse 16. Because he, he lays down this thing. I want the women's heads covered. The wives' heads covered. He, he answered this. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice in any of the churches of God. We have no other practice. This is a tradition. One, one translation says tradition. We have no other tradition. We have no other practice. This is not the law of God. This is a law of culture. This is a practice that they have that is sensitive to their culture. All right, so number four, let's talk about women in leadership. Can a woman lead and teach in, the tw- in 21st century America? I say absolutely, as long as they are right related to their husband. If they're not married, we're going to talk about that in a second. The, the head covering itself is cultural, and it's for that time. That's how they showed it, was with head coverings. But the principle of wives being subject to or honoring the authority of their husband in the home, that's the eternal principle. And it is not based on sin. It is not based on the fall. It is based on the order of the Godhead itself. As the father is the head of the son, so the husband is the head of the wife. This is how God set it up, and the and husbands and wives are playing out the gospel. <clears throat> and if a woman is honoring her husband, um, she can be used in uh, really unlimited ways. Uh, a woman at the beginning of the 20th century, I'm sorry, yeah, 20th century, named Amy Semple McPherson. Amy Semple McPherson had a miracle ministry. She went around and planted churches, and she is the founder of what we would call the Foursquare, a whole denomination of churches today. Jack Hayford today is the president of the Foursquare. It's all started by a woman. I, I think she had an apostolic anointing on her. She was married. She honored her husband. He covered her. That was her gift mix. He was cheering for her. How about, how about this church? Do you know this church was started by a woman? 1927. Sophie. Her last name. What, what's her last name? It's beyond my grasp. It's a tough name. Van Kuchen. Is that, is that like a, what kind of name is that? Is that Dutch? If he ain't Dutch, he ain't much. <laughs> that, that, that's the part of Minnesota I was in. That was a Dutch country. And I learned that one quick. If he ain't Dutch, he ain't much. Okay. Um, Sophie, uh, once again, a woman of God. Used by God. Frankly, a lot of the FCA churches were planted originally by women. Um, Joyce Meyer. I just listened to a, a CD series on The Lord is My Shepherd, on Psalm 23 from Joyce Meyer. Here is a woman, absolute leader, teacher, apostolic anointing on her, but very much 
honors her husband in every way. Every, in every way, she's a female. You feel safe hearing Joyce. She's not trying to be something other than a female. Beth Moore, very feminine, but very powerful. Very powerful speaker to both men and women. The, uh, let's talk about single women for a second. Uh, what, about, what about single women? They don't have a husband to be, to honor. What about, what about single women? I think single women can be used any way God wants them to if they're not angry. I was with a, a woman leader from this church. We were, we were just meeting. She, wanted, she's a, she owns her own business and she's a very dynamic woman. And she was, uh, she was saying how God told her and prophesied to her that he was giving her a voice. But it all came together a few months ago, she was at a conference and somebody was speaking and, and uh, they, were t- they were talking about why they're making this point. He, he, the speaker asked this question. Do you know why Barack Obama became president? That was the question. And his answer was this. Because he wasn't an angry black man. So people could trust him. There, there's just, he's not an angry man. He's not, he's not operating out of a wound. And God spoke to her through that. And he said, you, you, you've been angry. You've been angry because of things that happen. And when you are an angry woman, you lose your voice. And sometimes, single women, of course, any of us can be angry, but sometimes there can be a, an anger about, almost about being a woman and how women have been treated. And, and, and there's this anger that's underneath the surface and they're going to be a strong leader. But when you lead from a place of woundedness, it becomes illegal. Even if you're gifted, even if you're anointed, it becomes illegal. And you become unsafe. But if there's a single woman who's not angry, not angry at authority, not angry at men, not angry that she's a woman, oh my, I don't think there's any limits as to how God could use a woman of God. Well, we've got so many evidences of women that God is using today in the body of Christ in amazing ways. Cho, uh, Paul Youngi Cho pastors the largest church in the world in South Korea, over 700,000 members, uh, 50,000 small groups. And they asked Cho, what is the secret? What is the secret of this church? He said, there are two secrets. This is a group of Americans. That we're, America always wants to build something big. Tell us what the secrets are. He says, two secrets. One is night and day prayer. And the American pastor's like, hmm, I thought so. 
darn it. I thought it was going to be easy. Anyway, um, two, two secrets. One is night and day prayer, the, that, that furnace. And he said the second key, the second secret is women as leaders. He said, most of my small groups, my home groups are led by women. And he said, women are so much easier to work with than men because they don't have ego. That they, they don't have to be rewarded all the time. They don't have to be told what a great job they're doing all the time. They're not vying for positions. They've just, they've just, they've practiced humility. They've practiced honoring authority. They're not trying to be the person and they're just great workers. I'm not saying anything that he said about men is true. I'm just saying that's what he said. Okay, so men, don't be offended with me. You go ahead and be offended with him. That's fine. Um, Because he's not here. What about women as senior leaders? Women, women Women as the head pastor. I'm just gonna, I'll just, be real honest with you. Culturally, it's very hard. It's very hard in this culture, in our culture, for a man with all of man's machismo and ego, it's harder for them to follow a woman leader. Well, I said, well, you know, I, I just don't think that's right because if men were humble and they were godly, it wouldn't matter if it was a woman or a male. I absolutely agree with you. But we're trying to reach unbelieving people and they still have machismo. This culture has that in it. And so it's going to be hard. I'm not saying God can't call a woman to be the senior leader, but it is going to be more difficult for her. And, and with that, it, uh, it becomes more difficult to, to win people. Um, Mark Unger, who does the men and women thing with marriage, laugh your way to a happy marriage. That's Mark Unger. He says this. He says, when I hear most women describe what the perfect man would be, tender, caring, sensitive, listens, understands me without me having to explain everything. She's not describing a man. She's describing another woman. And so it's harder for men to follow women. And the statistics, I'm just going to give you the statistics because they're in Jack Hayford's book. Jack Hayford spends all of his time with men. And he says, here's why. Because statistically, if a man gets saved and joins the church, 90% of the time, the whole family will join. He said, if a woman gets saved and joins the church, the wife, under 20% of the time, the whole family will join. And if the kids get saved first, under 10% of the time. said, you get the man, you get the whole family. So there are cultural challenges for a woman to be uh, a senior leader. Why did Jesus choose 12 men? Well, he chose 12 men. I think it's very possible culturally. But notice what he did for women. Do you notice that women were the first witnesses, the resurrection? They were all the, all the primary witnesses. 
Did you notice that it was a woman, a woman's act of devotion pouring out that perfume that Jesus said, this is part of the gospel. What this woman did, this response, this is part of the gospel. Now, this is what I'm looking for in everybody. Jesus appointed men. I just think it's very possible because of culture. Because he wanted men leaders to lead that culture to Christ. It is difficult when a woman leads, but it is not wrong. And God sometimes will do it. He had Deborah lead. She was a judge of Israel for a while. Catherine Kuhlman had a miracle ministry in the 50s, 60s, and 70s 70s that was really unmatched by any. And she, she said publicly that... God told her that, that he offered the ministry that she had to five different men that said no before he chose her. Kind of a slap in the face to men. It would have been easier for a man to do her, but she was a, she was a go-getter. All right, let's talk about women in leadership at City Church. Um, when Mad City was looking for a pastor, it, they, it, I know they were looking for a, a male. When Lake City was looking for a pastor, I know they were looking for a male. Not because it would be wrong, not because God couldn't tell them that it needed to be a female, but simply culturally for the senior person. Yet God has raised up many females. We have female elders here. Sarah Carlin is one of the elders. She's also a pastor. She is single. Renee White is one of the elders here. Renee is married to Terry. Angie Rusu is an elder here. Um, she's married to Jeff. Uh, let me just say this. All three of them are such a delight to have on the team. I am, I am so happy in our elder meetings to have a woman's perspective. And all three of them are so honoring and so secure in who they are as women that it's, it's just, it's beautiful. It's, just a, it's a beautiful atmosphere to work with them. Sarah is leading the, the arts and communications and the team she leads is both of men and women. The end of the month, we're going to have a woman, Sabrina Wall, speaking here on a Sunday morning. I see Ellie back here. Ellie speaks. Gail Keeperoth speaks all over the world to men and women through YWAM. Jody Bunn, one of our missionaries that was here um, at the last fellowship convention, she did one of the main sessions. Jody Bunn did. It's the first time the FCA had a woman speaker. <laughs> New ground. Um, praise God. We've got some strong women in this church that are fantastic. Um, I think of uh, I think of Jennifer Drum. Jennifer heads up the prophetic ministry. Um, here, but also around 
around the, around the place. A person, Jennifer so honors, her husband so honors authority that uh, men trust her. I, I, think of, uh, I think of Liz Osborne. Liz is in charge of CareNet. She's a leader. She's got, if you did the Myers-Briggs, there are 16 main personalities and some of those personalities, they are just made to lead. They are natural leaders and God didn't ask. He puts leadership sometimes in women and they're just born leaders. How do I feel about that? Let them lead. Let's release them to do what God has called them to do. Strong Strong women. Diane Cook is the head of our school. Very strong, strong woman. Just doing a fantastic job. Very honoring of her husband. Very honoring of um, Pastor Nick's authority. She's, you, you, you spend time with Diane. You just trust her. You just do. You're glad she's... I, I remember talking to Doug Butler. He is so thrilled uh, working under Diane because she's just a really quality person, quality leader. So, that's what I've got on women in leadership. 